0: Going back to our series, and uh, again, uh, there were some disturbance, of course, in our uh, preaching from this series, but uh, that's understandable uh, because of our anniversary, of course, and uh, NBF and uh, all of those things. First Thessalonians chapter 2, and last time uh, that we were in uh, our series, we considered and learned about a thankful pastor. A thankful pastor uh, in the Apostle Paul. Uh, He was thankful because, firstly, the Thessalonians received the Word of God as the Word of God. Uh, I say it again, in our day and age, many hear the Word of God preached or taught, but they don't necessarily receive it as the Word of God. The Salonicans received it, not as the word of men, but the Bible says, and indeed the testimony of the Salonicans is that they received it as it is in truth. In truth, they received it, heard it, and more importantly, they accepted it also. Now, there's a whole range of differences there. Uh, receiving it, hearing it, and indeed accepting it. As the word of God. Secondly, Paul uh, uh, thanked God for their fellowship. Their fellowship, that in such a short time, the Salonicans uh, became followers. They became imitators of the churches of God in Judea, in Jerusalem, who, like them, the Bible says, were also in Christ Jesus. That means it's a saved church. A saved church. Church membership. That's all it needs to be if it is to be a genuine church of Christ. And so, how did the believers there in Jerusalem, in Judea, gladly receive the word? They were baptized and continued steadfastly, that's the word of the scriptures in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and indeed in prayers. That was the example of the early church in Jerusalem. And beloved, as we have just concluded our celebration for 50 years, may I encourage us to continue on what this church started to be, uh, as I have just described it to you. Thousands were being saved. They were daily in the temple, daily. With one accord, with gladness and singleness of heart. There's unity in the place. Praising God and, notice, having favor with man. The church has got a good testimony. Every time people pass by uh, that uh, ecclesia, that called out assembly, that local assembly, uh, people have a thought, a good thought about the church there. And that uh, because of that... The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Such as should be saved. Thirdly, Paul was thankful for the Salonicans and their perseverance in their young faith. Their perseverance in their young faith. They stood and contended for the truth, beloved. Uh, Even in the midst of persecution. They didn't take it lying down. They told people uh, in their community about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and that he is the true God. And so they were persever- they, they persevere in their young faith. This morning we will continue with the narrative and pick up from verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Will you stand with me please? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning here in verse 17. As 17, towards the end of the chapter. But we, brethren, being taken from, from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? or joy, or crown of rejoicing. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Father, thank you once again for your word. Thank you that we have it in our hands, that you have preserved it all this time. Thank you for us having to be able to gather in this place right here, right now uh, with no fear, uh, really with no hindrance, no interference from anyone. Uh, We have the liberty to come and go. So thank you that in this country, Australia, that we live in, we are still in relative peace. We have persecutions no doubt father by and large we're still able to practice what we believe and say what we believe and so father i thank you that we have this opportunity and indeed for me this privilege to serve you in this way to preach your word and again i ask for unction power from on high Help me to preach accurately, help me to preach compellingly, that by the end of this hour, we would have praised you for the preaching of your word. I don't know the hearts of your people, but the comfort is that you do. I don't know what your people are going through at this time, but indeed the assurance is that you do. And we are your children. You know what goes on in each of our lives, even here right now. And so I pray, Father, that you will be in the very center of our thoughts. And again, if there be one in our midst, that have not yet placed their faith in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, oh, I pray that today be the day of their salvation. And for those of us who have made that profession and have uh, been redeemed and justified and awaiting to be glorified, I pray, Lord, that our lives would be changed. We'll make some personal assessments and commitments out of the things that we would see and learn today. Meet with us, Father. I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now you remember in chapter 2, Paul defended himself against his critics, against his enemies in the church as to his personal integrity. As we learned previously, Paul only had a short stay in the church there at Thessalonica. And after he left... Some of his enemies tried to bowdmouth him even more, especially now that he has left the church. Uh, That uh, uh, they told the church people that he was a fraud, uh, that he was a charlatan, that he's just in it for the money, uh, in it for the power, uh, for the popularity that he really did not care about them and he only was there for what he can get from them and then left and moved out of the city that's what they're saying or at least in similar to that and so with a criticism not really true and not really the case paul defended himself in the beginning of chapter 2 but towards the last verses of that chapter as we just read notice how emotional And passionate his defense was. Apparently, his critics were saying that the proof that Paul didn't care is that he never came back to the place uh, uh, after he left the city, and the inference is is that he didn't care and he deserted them permanently. That was what's being spread uh, in the church. And so he writes here in verse 17, as we just read, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Now, beloved, you have to remember that the only reason why Paul left town, so to speak, was because these same people who were criticizing and bad-mouthing him were the same people who persecuted him and caused a deceptive uproar in the city and forced him and his companions out of there. We find that, of course, in Acts chapter 17. It's a wonderful study that you can do in your own time. Now, Jason... And others uh, who were uh, paul's followers and, and supporter actually pledged their lives for paul and and once they did that, the authorities released Paul and his companion companions. The inference was here was that Jason must have pledged uh, Paul not to come back to Thessalonica and he gave himself as a bond, as a surety, or even some of uh, his possessions, if you like, uh, perhaps just to let Paul and his companions be able to live alive and be set free. People do that in those days. They will pledge their life for somebody else. And Jason here, and the Bible says with his companions, did that. And so Paul and his companions did not just leave. They were forced to leave. And we will see more of this in chapter 3. But his enemies twisted the truth to deceive the church. And so they lied about Paul. Notice how emotional the words of Paul in verse 17. Understand, he's only been with them for a short time, but he felt for them. He longed for them and so wanted to be with them. I learned somebody said, and I quote, The opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. Let me say that again. The opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. Beloved, when we don't care about a person, we do not love that person full stop. If we do not care about that person, we really do not love that person. And let's not sugarcoat it and make it palatable and excuse ourselves. We often hear it said these days I couldn't care less. I read a sermon illustration about a woman in New York City who got up and closed her window because the screams of someone being attacked in the streets of New York below her was annoying her. Someone is being beaten. Someone is being raped. Someone is being murdered outside, but she couldn't care less. And the way she dealt uh, with the issue was to close her window... As if by not hearing the screams, the beatings, and the killings would stop. She couldn't care less. And she only cared for herself. My dear ones, as Christians, I couldn't care less. Should never be found from our mouths. But rather, I couldn't care more. We in here, in this household of faith called Calvary Baptist Church, uh, should truly care for one another. Paul did. He expressed his emotions because he cared for the Thessalonians. He couldn't care more. He wanted them to know that through this letter and all oh, how we should follow the example of the Apostle Paul. I say it again, if you want to know Paul's doctrines, read Romans. But if you want to see, at least have a glimpse of his passion, his heart, read the letter of Thessalonians. Because in this letter, first and second, Paul poured out. A lot of his emotions. And we have uh, an image of Paul as this one that is uh, solid. Uh, and one that is a straight shooter. Uh, and one that just says it and calls it as it is. And he does. And I praise him for that. Paul has a heart. Paul has emotions. It probably is very hard to see because he, like I said, is a straight shooter doctrinally. He doesn't mean his words. He tells it what it is. But deep inside of that, Paul has a heart. Folks, do we care for each other as we should? Do we really love each other as we ought to, according to scriptures? The word or the phrase taken from you here has the idea of being orphaned, being torn apart. That's how Paul felt towards the brethren. Is that how I feel about you when you're not around? Is that how you feel about me? When I'm not here, do we feel orphaned? Do we feel torn apart when we are not in the company of each other? Folks, listen. If we are to last another 50 years, and if we are to continue to be an effective ministry here and elsewhere, We really need to start loving each other in the way that God wants us to be or to do. If we truly care for one another, we will genuinely want to be together. Some of you couldn't care less. If you miss the gathering of the saints... Can I encourage you? Don't be like that. Be with the brethren. Some of you don't even want to talk to somebody when you're here. I don't understand that. Do you genuinely want to be part of this church? Notice how Paul calls the Thessalonians brethren. Brethren. By virtue of our genuine salvation in Christ, beloved, and with the Holy Spirit indwelling us after our our conversion, you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. Like it or not, we're family. Like it or not, We are family. And it is this group that will go and be risen up in glory. We are it, beloved. We're only not going to see each other here. We will see ourselves together in glory. Get used to it. We're family. Like it or not. Now in families normally and should want to be together all the time. I cannot last a week without hearing from my children and my grandchildren, for that matter. I like to see photos. I like to see video when one tooth has uh, fallen and there's another tooth, $2, by the way. Clint reduced that to $1 now, I think, because it's all falling one after the other. Tough times, yes. And and, and a a little uh, old MacDonald farm, you know, a little piano piece. Don't you show it? Don't you want to see some? Yeah, we love our grandchildren. And uh, we love to be together. Saturdays for the Repsies. Rain, hair, all shine. They gather together as family. For us, you know, Sunday nights after church. That's really the only time that we could do it. And, And you have your own days. You want to be together because you are family and church is a family. We are the family of God. Now I know there are usually one or two members in the family whom you'd rather not have. But hey, families aren't perfect. The truth is God has designed the family as a basic unit of society and it is really in a family where you and I are supposed to be accepted just because of who we are and not because of what we did or did not do. Family. You don't kick your son because he's a prodigal. He's still your son. Uh, Your daughter that's giving you grief, she doesn't stop becoming your daughter just because. She's your daughter, he's your son because of who they are. They came from you. Your family. And so, yes, including we are a church as a family of God including those ones who cause troubles and are painful to deal with. We all desire that they fall in line and be pleasant to deal with, of course. But that is not always the case. For one reason or another, they feel that they are entitled to be a pain. To be painful and be proud of being painful too. Not Paul. Beloved, he doesn't want to be a pain. He wanted to be present with them. Paul did not want to be in the out. He wanted to be in the in. To see them. To see their face was his great desire. I cannot explain this to you, uh, whether you believe me or not. Uh, We've just finished NBF, and towards the end there, about the Wednesday night to the Thursdays, uh, the Thursday, the pastors uh, and some of those that I've dealt with and talked with, we were asking ourselves, so what's up for this weekend? What are you going to do? Because some, you know, they take their holidays after the NBF, and I I did that at one stage. But most of us said, well, I can't get... I can't wait to get back to church and see my people. Of course, that means the flock. I cannot explain that to you, but for the majority, that's how we felt as pastors. We just want to be back at church to see, to get back to see the flock because we generally desire to see you. I miss you when you're not around. And some of you would say, then come around and see us. That's true. But you see, you don't understand. I wanted to see you, yes, but I wanted to see you as well as the others in the same place at the same time watching you have fellowship one another, having a great time. And what a great time we had at men's breakfast yesterday. Just to see the fellas Having a good time, having some banters, telling them about their experience of the week. The bike here, car there. Uh, I wanted to see you at the same place, at the same time, which is Paul was saying here. That is every well-meaning, under-shepherd's desire. Not a hireling. The hireling just want to get paid. But a well-meaning, I'm the shepherd of the flock. That's his desire. I miss you when you're not around. And it's good to know if you're not to be around. At least I know where you are. You probably notice on last hymns, I, I turn around and, and look at the congregation. Why do I do that? I want to see who's not here. I want to have a mental note of who's not here. I also want to see if we have a visitor in the place. I also want to be reminded of you, that some of you are carrying burdens. And so as I turn around and then I put my head down before I get up here, I pray. That's what I do. Some of you have asked me, why do you do that? I'm I'm telling you. I wanted to see who's not here. Not because I'm checking. Because I want to find out why. And sometimes I will never know. Sometimes they'll tell me it's okay, everything is fine. And then the next three or four months after that, I never see them again. Can I tell you, if there's anything wrong, could you please tell me? Could you please tell Branco? Please, don't just walk out of the church without giving us the opportunity to perhaps fix things if they needed to be fixed. I miss you when you're not around. That's what Paul is saying here. He had a great desire to see their faces yet again. But, verse 18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Beloved, this is an interesting statement by Paul, to say the least. Paul said Satan hindered us. Let's unpack that a little bit. My dear ones, let me remind you that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. Church, can I say to you this morning, that if we are to again continue after 50 years, we not only have to learn to love each other as God wants us to, but secondly, we must learn to deal with our enemy, Satan. I say it again, and it's not an if, but when. We must accept and expect satanic attacks in the ministry here he's going to try to hinder our ministry like what he did with paul and the thessalonians satan by the very uh, satan by the way uh, he doesn't relent he's at it every time uh, 24/7 365 days every day of every year you and I should know that he is a roaring lion who walketh about seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5:8. I confess to you that there were plenty of times that I prayed and believe in my heart with a desire to do things here in our church, and it just doesn't come to fruition, it doesn't come to pass, and one would say, Pastor, it is not God's will. Maybe. But could it be, it's not because it is not God's will. Because how could it be not God's will when it will be for his glory and for his church and indeed the community. Could it be uh, that it's not the spirit that hinders? And in fact it is Satan that hinders? Now, I understand there are times that the Spirit hinders or changes our plans according to God's will and purposes. That's actually happened to the Apostle Paul. I get that. In Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, uh, we find that the Holy Spirit prevented Paul in ministry, preaching the word, really, in Asia. So, yes, the Holy Spirit hinders. I get that. But here in our text, Paul knew that it wasn't the Holy Spirit that hindered, but rather it is Satan who hindered, or hindering. Now I believe sometimes we forget that. We expect that the church to be able to do everything that we wish it does. And yes, I accept sometimes the Holy Spirit hinders. But many times it is Satan who hinders and opposes the ministry. And sadly, sadly, and sadly, sometimes we allow ourselves through our actions or inaction or lack thereof to assist Satan in hindering the ministry. Church, I love you. I do. But listen. There are more ministry opportunities that we can do for the Lord, but we can't because there is no willingness to commit to work it consistently and faithfully. As always, it's the same people doing the serving and the rest are just content to be served. I accept not everyone can commit because of other priorities and personal situations. I understand that. But what about when we can? When we can actually do things. When we can but won't. What about some sacrifice. For the Savior. What about prayer. Or what about simply coming. Actually turning up. Attending. And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Turning up to enjoy the event. And be an encouragement to those who actually worked it and prepared for it. But even that sometimes is withheld. Let me tell you, it is quite discouraging when we try to put something on, like a fellowship, or teaching, or outreach efforts, or prayer time, and then very minimal turnout. After all the efforts and the preparations, the desire to serve and to be a blessing, a handful, and normally the same people who comes and the same people who serves. What's even said sometimes, those that did not and cannot commit are the first ones to complain. very sad. I remember a sermon by Charles Spurgeon which he entitled listen, How Saints May Help the Devil which he preached on July 24 1859. A good sermon to read out of Ezekiel 1654 and how true it was in his time and it's still true in these our days. But pastor, how does he how does Satan do it you ask? Well, he does it with lying. After all, he is a liar and the father of lies, John 8:44. He catches away the word that was sown in a man's heart uh, as the parable of the sower tells us in Matthew 13. Uh, he deceives and disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11:14. He sifts and shakes us up like wheat, as he did with Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. He accuses us before the Lord day and night, for he is an accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12, to 11. And oh, I could go on and on and on. Satan has not got any shortage of arsenal uh, in his possession to discourage and hinder the ministry of the church. Make no mistake about it, beloved, Satan desires and will attack the church. He did it in the early church in Jerusalem through Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, and just go and read Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and you will see how Satan attacked the church throughout time. And turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 with me, please. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here Paul was giving uh, uh, instructions to Timothy uh, on the biblical qualifications of a bishop, an elder, a pastor. Notice here uh, in verse 7. Moreover, uh, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Satan hinders the ministry of the church by attacking the pastor and the leadership for that matter. It's a common story everywhere throughout time. And these attacks are not just verbal. Uh, These attacks are are, are not just mental, emotional, uh, financial. Uh, Sometimes these attacks for the pastor and and the leadership is uh, not necessarily to the person itself, but to their loved ones, their wives their children. Make no mistake about it. Satan hinders the ministry. And you only have to listen and read the news of how many pastors have fallen. How many pastors have uh, engaged themselves in things unbecoming church leaders who have fallen into the snare of the devil. And listen, Calvary Baptist Church, I know you love me. I know you pray for me and Branco and everyone else. But could you, can I encourage you not to pray just for my health. Not just to pray about how I preach the word. Pray that I don't fall into the snare of the devil. And all the other well-meaning pastors out there. We are living in a time where we are being attacked from right, left, and, uh, right, left, and center uh, of all the things that we do for the Lord. Oh, I beg you. You love me. I now pray that I don't fall into the snare of the devil and be part of the statistics. For many have done that. And have lost their ministry. I want to finish well, beloved. And I want to finish well with you. Satan hinders. Satan tried it with Job. He tried it with Peter. With Paul. And he will most certainly try it with me. In fact, he already did and continues to do so. You see, he wants to hinder the progress of the ministry. The word, the word hinder here is enkopto, and has the idea of digging a trench or breaking the road. It is commonly used as a military term of cutting access to the road so that one can hinder the enemy's movement or progress. That's the idea here, and that is what Satan did to Paul at Salonika. And that is what Satan is still doing now to the churches uh, and to the saints in it. But be encouraged, beloved. Oh, be encouraged. He can only do as much as God allows him to do and no more. I say it again the church that the Lord builds, it shall stand, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Oh, he can try. But he'll never win. That's the idea. Paul loved the Thessalonians. Uh, He learned and discerned that it is Satan that is hindering the ministry. And then thirdly, he'll leave. And so should we. We should leave in anticipation of Christ's coming here in verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming notice this verse with me beloved paul said what are or who is our refuge or our hope who is our joy who is our crown of rejoicing you would think that the uh, the answer to these questions would obviously be the lord jesus who is indeed our blessed hope is he not Uh, The Lord Jesus, who is our eternal joy and only in Him uh, and Him alone. And yes, He is the object for when we cast our crown unto His feet, and He is beloved, He is all of that and more. But notice what Paul said Are not even ye? Uh, Here is the verse that refutes and disproves uh, His critics, His enemies. Paul's hope is is in his eternal reward, in his eternal joy, in his crown that is to be cast at the Savior's feet, are the believers of Thessalonica and other churches he established for that matter. So when his critic says that he didn't care, this very verse proves it because he did care. Uh, And so his yearning desire is to be in the presence of the Lord, but not just him, uh, but these believers as well as with him. All of them together in the presence of and before the Lord Jesus. As far as Paul is concerned, they are it. Verse 20, he says, For ye, all of them are his glory. They are his boastings. They were his joy. And Calvary Baptist Church, I say this. I said it before, and I'd like to say it again, just like Paul. And again, just like any genuine, well-meaning, under-shepherd of the Bible, and of the flock, not a hireling. you, the flock, are our joy. And our crown of rejoicing. I understand it's not always joyful. I understand that our dealings with one another is not always pleasant. I get that. But I hope and pray that you could believe me when I say. You really are my joy. You are. My joy and my glory. I boast about you. When people ask me, how's the church? I wish you could hear what I say to people about you. I have just updated my desktop background, you know, in my computer. And uh, I've replaced it, Fiona, with the, the new one that we had for our 50th. And every time I look to your faces every day, every morning, I rejoice. You are my glory. It reminds me every time I look on each individual face, who you are. And your contributions to this place for all these years and for some of you that have just come and join us, the already contributions that you're making. And I'm not talking dollars and cents, please. Every time that computer would go on, that's the first thing I see in the morning. I'm thankful. I'm joyful. For all of you, you all remind us, my wife and I, of how much of a blessing you are to us. And even in those times of difficulties, I must admit there's really not a lot of those over time. Sometimes we just blow it out out of proportion. No, for the most part, it's always joyful and rejoicing. Uh, We have some isolated issues, of course, every church does. But we rejoice, I rejoice, because it allows me. It forces me to be mindful of my actions and reactions to the provocations, to the false and malicious comments and the accusations every time I look at you in this picture. I'm thankful and rejoicing nevertheless for those are the times that forces me to pray rather than to retaliate. And those are the times that I realize to let go and let God work in your hearts and in your heads. You know, but most especially to work in my own heart. I can't control what you do with your own heart. But my Bible tells me, if a man say, I love God and hated his brother... He is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? My dear ones, I cannot wait to see the Savior. Oh, but I also wanted to see him as he is with each and every one of you. Together, presenting ourselves. As Calvary Baptist Church, having our rewards in our crowns and casting it to the Savior's feet together. Now, this is yet to be, of course. This is in the future. But today, through these emblems, we can see Him. Through the unleavened bread. Without the yeast, without any impurities. A picture, a type of the sinless body of Jesus Christ. Which was broken. Brutalized. Banged up, as somebody would say. Beaten for you and me. And indeed, the cup of sorrows. A picture of the spilt blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sin. He died so that you and I can live. For, there is, for without the shedding of the blood, the Bible says, there is no remission of sins. The bloods of bullock and goats are just temporal atonement. Israel still do that today in their Yom Kippur. <coughs> Oh, beloved, but the blood of Christ is permanent atonement available to those who would be willing to receive it. It is eternal, and it is permanent, and it is once for all, and it is finished, and no other thing to do but believe in what it can do. It is indeed for the world, but effectual to those who will believe it. See him in the emblems. See him in the unleavened bread. And see him in the cup of sorrows. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we are able to ponder and consider uh, how the Apostle Paul felt in the church at Thessalonica and how true it is indeed in our day help us to love each other to learn to love each other as how you would want us to help us to learn the wiles and the schemes of the enemy and help us to live in anticipation of your coming but for now Let us be reminded again of the unleavened bread and indeed the fruit of the vine and see you in them. Help us to consider our ways at this time and may we participate worthily in this communion. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.